Welcome to Energy in Action. I'm your host, Marcy Young, and as a Mito patient myself, I appreciate you and the community you've helped us to build. This podcast honors the triumphs and struggles of patients and families affected by this disease and celebrates the work being done by doctors and researchers every day to make it a safer world for our people. We are a support group and a podcast focusing on all things related to mitochondrial disease. Welcome to another episode of Energy in Action. Today, we have a very special guest all the way from the Netherlands. Her name is Nicole Voot, and I am so happy to have her on our podcast. She's going to tell you a little bit more about herself in a minute, but I think the big topic that is on a lot of our minds is exercise. Ever since I was diagnosed, and I'm sure you all can agree, doctors have told us you need to exercise. You need to put a priority on exercising. I can wrap my head around the fact that my muscles are prone to weakness. I need to work on strengthening them more than an everyday person. But really, what does that all mean? And what can I do that really is best for my body? And Nicole's going to help share with us her research, her experience, and a little bit more about how to strategize for ourselves. So thank you, Nicole, for being here. Let's start by just sharing with our audience who you are, where you work, and what your background is. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for having me in your podcast. Uh, I'm honored to tell more about exercise because it's a very, very important topic. Um, for people with mitochondrial diseases. But, but first, a little bit about myself. I'm Nicole Voet. I'm a rehabilitation physician and a researcher working in the Netherlands. I work in a rehabilitation center. It's called Klimmenau in the middle of the Netherlands in Arnhem and also half of the time in a university medical center, the Rabat University Medical Center. And I work at the Department of Rehabilitation. And the Rappaut University Medical Center is an expertise center for mitochondrial diseases. So we see a lot of patients with mitochondrial diseases. I myself live in Wageningen, which is more or less um, in between Arnhem and Nijmegen. I live together with my uh, my boyfriend and with 19, 19 bikes. So biking, exercising is also, I like it very much. So it's also good to tell more for my patients about the positive effect of exercise. And Wageningen is a university city uh, in the Netherlands, and I have to cycle uh, 33 kilometers to uh, get into Nijmegen. Uh, but it's good to know that in the Netherlands you have bicycle highways, so that there are very well cycling paths to take when you go to work, with not a lot of traffic lights, for example. And I go to Arnhem to the rehabilitation center with a kick bike or a scooter, uh, and I like it being outside. And yeah being healthy well exercise. So that's a little bit about uh, myself. Well, I like that you also practice what you preach too, but it's a very important community to explain exercise to. Again, for a lot of us, it seems like a very scary endeavor. Our bodies feel weak, our bodies feel fatigued, and we need a little bit more information. So, you know, let's kind of start by asking the question, Can exercise make our mitochondria healthier? Yeah, that's a a short question and a short answer is yes. (laughs) Well, that's a great answer. That's what I wanted you to say. (laughs) But it's a very easy answer, but the way to the answer is more difficult. So I think it's important to, to, to let the listeners know 
that there is no one way to exercise because there are billions of people in the world. So there are also billions of ways to get to exercise. And I think it's important as a physician and researcher uh, to take a look. Yeah, who is in front of me? Who is in the consulting room? Yeah, do you like exercise or not? What's your history uh, in exercise? Some people hate exercise. And it's, it's very important to know as a physician when I prescribe exercise. And that's one thing. The other thing is how severely affected you are by the disease. Yeah, do you have a family life? Do you have a job? Do you have hobbies? That's one thing. Uh, is there comorbidity? So how are your heart? How are your lungs? All these different aspects are important when uh, prescribing exercise. Also, when prescribing exercise, we know from research, there has been a lot of research on exercise in the last 10, 15 years. But before that, not even so long ago, patients with neuromuscular diseases, with mitochondrial diseases, were told that they are not allowed to exercise because patients, professionals, researchers all were afraid that exercise would damage the muscles. But all this evidence was only from research on mice. Um, and that research, it was about mice who were running in a treadmill for, for hours, sometimes even days. So that's not a real good presentation of daily life for, for patients. And there has never been any effect of, a, um, of damage caused by exercise and research. But of course, there are some things you have to take into account, but I will come to that later on. So don't be afraid that exercise is harmful, but you have to do it in the right way. I like your slogan that you taught me about start low and go slow. Did I get that correct? You'll get that correct. Yep. Okay. So tell us a little bit about the meaning behind that and really what that means to someone with mitochondrial disease. When you start exercising, especially when you are yeah, more severely affected by the disease, it's better to start low and go slow. In the Rappat University Medical Center, we performed research on muscle fatigue, also in patients with mitochondrial disease, because muscle fatigue is one of the most disabling symptoms of mitochondrial disease because your muscles are fatigued early in time. It's very difficult to exercise. And mitochondria are, yeah, they are delivering energy. And because they are not performing very well, there is, uh, when you start exercising, lactate increases very early in time, and that gives muscle pain and muscle fatigue. And what we did, we performed uh, exercises, we let people perform exercises on a bicycle, a maximal exercise test on a bicycle. Patients were asked to cycle for as long as, as intensive as they, uh, they were able to. And during that exercise test, we measured uh, the ventilation. So the oxygen and the carbon dioxide, you, you breathe in and out, but also muscle fatigue. And muscle fatigue, we measured with um, EMG. EMG measures the signal what's going from the brains to the spinal cord to the muscles. And uh, that's a, a test which is performed very frequently in the Netherlands. And that test gives an indication of your aerobic capacity. So what's your exercise capacity? And what you measure is you measure the ventilatory thresholds. And ventilatory thresholds are determined by the carbon dioxide you breathe out. And carbon dioxide is determined by the lactate in your blood. So you can imagine that when your mitochondria don't perform very well, you have a high level of lactate in your blood. And with that, the threshold during exercise is very early in time. So your, yeah, your 
easily fatigued. And what we did during these, this, this exercise, this research, is we also measured muscle fatigue with EMG, so the signals going from the brain to the spinal cord to the muscles. And the advantage of EMG is that it's muscle-specific, because we know that some muscles are more easily fatigued than others. And what we know from earlier research is that in healthy people, there are thresholds in the signal, the amplitude signal of the EMG, and these thresholds were at the same period of time as the ventilatory threshold during exercising. But in patients with neuromuscular diseases, in patients with mitochondrial diseases, the, the thresholds of the EMG, the muscle fatigue thresholds, were earlier in time than the ventilatory thresholds. Or in other words, muscles are in earlier in time fatigued than your total body is. And for healthy people, there are exercise guidelines. When you start exercising, the advice is to start at 50 to 60% of your maximum exercise capacity. But what we saw in our research, what they, when you start at 50%, you're already behind the first threshold. So you're already behind your muscle fatigue. And you can imagine that when you exercise at 50%, your muscles are fatigued. You are producing lactate you are producing muscle pain. So from that moment in time, we advised our patients to start low. To start at 30% for before your muscle fatigue, before the muscle threshold, and then build up very slowly. And with that, patients were not very fatigued anymore after exercise, didn't experience many muscle pain anymore, and they were able to increase uh, the intensity of the exercise, which was very good for their self-confidence. So when you start exercise, it's better to start much too slow than too intensive. Because when you start with a higher intensity and you have many pain, then you maybe stop exercising and it's not good for yourself, confidence. So that's the reason for start low and go slow. I think especially that that phrase becomes important for someone with mitochondrial disease because like I might hear some of my friends in the and, and the exercise regimens that they're on. And if I try to put myself in one of those, I'm not going to succeed. And it's going to ruin my self-confidence. It's going to be a lot harder for me to start up something new that is more appropriate for myself if I've already became so frustrated in regards to exercise. I think it's really important to figure out a strategy that works for you without listening to all the noise about exercise. I feel like, at least in my social circle, and I, I feel like just in the in the world overall, people are coming up with the best exercise routines for themselves. But as a mitochondrial patient, we might not be able to compare ourselves in that apples to apples kind of way with possibly a friend or a sister. Yeah, that's true. And, and nobody can compare to himself to another. Mm-hmm. Even to normal, non-mitochondrial. Yeah. Also, healthy people um, who are starting exercise, they, they don't start with an exercise from a top athlete because that's not, uh, that's not nice too. And uh, also good to know that in the Netherlands, we sometimes perform such a maximal exercise test. But there are um, yeah, easy ways to, to start exercising. For example, start with only five minutes or maybe one minute. Uh, at a low intensity and when it's going well then you you start with two minutes you start once a week uh, and then twice a week uh, and then first build up uh, the duration 
when it's possible, build up the duration to a minimum of 20 minutes. But it's not, if it's not possible, it's also good. Uh, and after you've built up the duration, then the intensity. So first build up the duration, then the intensity. And there are easy ways in which you can measure the intensity. And that is, for example, the Borg skill. The Borg skill is you give yourself a number. The, the best Borg skill is between 8 and 20. You can find it on the internet, B-O-R-G skill. Um, and when you are exercising on a scale from 13, 14, 15, that's good. But when it's 16, it's too high, it's too intensive. So you can check your own fatigue and your own exercise intensity. The other rule is, are you still able to do your daily life activities? Because when you are exercising at a too high intensity and you're not able um, to, to walk anymore, to pick up your children from school, for example, then you're exercising at a too high intensity. And another one is muscle pain. Muscle pain is okay because uh, muscle pain means that there is something happening in your muscles. But muscle pain with a duration of more than 24 hours after your exercise is not good. That's too long. So these are some simple advices. And the last one is the talk test. When you're still able to talk, when you're exercising, the exercise is not too intensive. So you can check, am I able to, to speak some sentences during my exercise? Then the intensity is not too high. This is such good advice, Nicole. Thank you so much. Because sometimes it is tough. You know, I, I really try to integrate exercise into my life, but I think to myself, should I be working harder? Should I be lifting more weight? Or should I be going longer on my cycling bike or, you know, whatever the case is. And it's really hard to know what makes the most sense for my body. But hearing that the duration makes more of an impact health wise for myself and to uh, rehabilitate my mitochondria than intensity. Yeah, some people uh, exercise every day, for example, every day, 10 minutes. Um, these patients, I tell, it's better to exercise three times a week, 20 minutes, than once a day, 10 minutes. Because uh, from 20 minutes, your, um, yeah, your, your metabolic, your metabolism um, is, yeah, is doing things. So then you are, your exercise is helpful. Up to 20 minutes, the effect is less. So it's better to uh, exercise three times a week for 20 minutes than every day 10 minutes. And the other thing is that there is a difference between exercise and daily activities. What's the difference? Um, during both activities, exercise and daily activity, your heart rate increases. You can check it, for example, with a smartwatch, with a heart rate watch. The difference between exercise and daily life activities is that in exercise, you are also, your breathing, your rate of breathing increases. So you notice that your breathing frequency is higher. That's the main difference between those two. And the guidelines for healthy people, but also people with mitochondrial disease, they say it's good to be active every day, but exercise two or three times every week. So that's a, that's a difference. And of course, it's not possible for everyone, for example, when you're in a wheelchair to exercise or to be active. So these guidelines also say every minute you, you can be active is, is, a, is one. So everything you can do is important 
but not yeah, do too much because overuse is um, also uh, very important to prevent. And overuse means that you notice that you cannot do your daily life activities anymore or that you, your intensity of your exercises decreases or that you have uh, an increasing level of muscle pain and muscle fatigue. So it's yeah a difficult balance between how many things do you have to do and what is your uh, upper threshold. So when in, yeah you are in overuse, and it can be very difficult and sometimes a bit of a trial and error. But please remember start low and go slow because then you build up very slow and there's less risk of overuse. You're really just creating a habit out of exercise. Yeah. I like that. I mean, there is so much you could read from now until you go to sleep tonight and even the next night all about exercise programs and what you should, quote, be doing. And it gets a little intimidating because when I read stuff, I, I think to myself, I don't think that applies to me. But when I'm sitting down with my neurologist, my mitochondrial specialist, I typically have so many questions for him that exercise just doesn't make the list, even though it is top of mind for me. And I want to integrate it in the smartest way possible. So I think that your nuggets of wisdom are going to be really helpful for our audience. So let's kind of change the course of the conversation. What if I just, I have a mitochondrial disease and I just refuse to exercise? What's going to happen to my body? When you have a mitochondrial disease, you have mitochondria who are healthy, mitochondria who are yeah, less healthy. So they are not so good um, at creating energy and you produce uh, lactate earlier in time than people with only healthy mitochondria. And yeah, mitochondrial disease is a disease which is unfortunately or can be uh, slowly progressive. So that means that the amount of non-healthy mitochondrial can, disease, can, de, can increase, but there's another mechanism because when you, uh, your mitochondria are not very healthy, it's difficult for you to exercise because your lactate increases more quickly than people without mitochondrial disease. So there's a, a, a risk that you are not, uh, that exercise is difficult for you, that you stop exercising. But when we stop exercising, people with mitochondrial disease, but also healthy people, the amount of healthy mitochondria de de decreases. So that's a secondary consequence of your mitochondrial disease. And that's we call disuse because of inactivity. So because of inactivity, your amount of mitochondria decreases. So that's a secondary consequence of the disease. And that's um, yeah, what uh, happens when you stop exercising. So what, yeah, my advice would be um, start as quickly as possible with exercising when you are still able to exercise to prevent that you stop exercising and start low, go slow. But happily, we know in mitochondrial disease that you can turn back time, so that when you start exercising at the right level, you are able to increase the amount of healthy mitochondria. But we also know from research in mice, uh, it not accounts for every uh, mitochondrial disease patient. So in Nijmegen, we want to perform research to take a further look into for which patients does it apply, exercise is effective, and for which patients is exercise 
less effective so that we can help people yeah on a more personal level so there's a um, primary cause primary consequence of the disease uh, you have uh, mitochondria who are not functioning very well but also a secondary cause uh, when you stop exercising the amount of mitochondria decreases and the secondary consequence we can do something about this all rings so true to me, but I think it's really important for us to stop and have a conversation about it. I remember, again, when I was diagnosed, my neurologist said the best thing I could do for myself would be to exercise. Now, our appointments together go by so fast and I have so many questions. The details of exercising and really starting up a routine, it's not a conversation for him and I to have, and it doesn't get into my agenda with him. But it is so important and it's always, you know, like him sitting on my shoulder telling me to exercise and it's the best thing I can do for myself. And and I really, I, I want to live a healthy life. And so exercise is a key to doing that, to slowing that progression down of my disease. So I hope that we can all in our community kind of take a step back and think to ourselves, how can we integrate this more into our lives and listen to the advice that Nicole said? I know when we were preparing for today, you were teaching me about how it can take six months to fully incorporate exercise into our lives. So, you know, let's say I get started in a routine and in a few weeks, it still feels like a huge chore. So tell me what happens in the body and when that six months kicks in, what's what's kind of the difference you start feeling? Yeah, it's uh, exercising is changing behavior. When you start exercising, you start changing your behavior. And changing behavior is very, very difficult. Because in the beginning, uh, it takes more energy because you're not used to it. Uh, you have to think about exercising, think about starting exercising. It's difficult. You are maybe a bit... You have to find the time. Yeah, find the time to do it in all your other, um, yeah, in your busy schedule uh, during the day. You may be afraid that exercise damage your muscles, etc., etc., and, and you're searching for the right intensity. But what would be very nice is that exercise in a couple of months becomes more structure in daily life, so that it will be the other way around. I notice it myself when I'm not able to exercise. Uh, I'm a bit not not very positive. Uh, I not feel very comfortable when I'm not able to exercise because it's incorporated in my daily life. Just like brushing your teeth, for example. You are used to brushing your teeth every morning and every evening. And it would be very nice if you would be able to incorporate exercise in your daily life. But that's changing behavior. And there was research that it takes on average six months to incorporate a new behavior in your daily life. And it's important when incorporating behavior that you are doing it most of the time at the same day and most of the time the same time of day because then your body gets used to change of behavior so for example choose the monday and the friday for your exercise on monday wednesday friday that's one thing maybe uh, ask a friend to go with you because well, for example when you're not not uh, you don't you think on monday will i exercise and your friend calls you let's exercise so that helps Tell other people in your neighborhood that you're starting to exercise, they can maybe help you. So make time for exercise, choose a structured day and time. That's very important. So sometimes when I'm exercising, to your point about start low and go slow, I might not feel my heart 
beat fast. I might not feel that increased heartbeat, but I know I'm doing right by my body and I'm feeling like what I'm doing is comfortable for myself, you know, based on the limitations that I have. Is that okay? Or is it like a rule of thumb that I should feel that my heart rate is going up? No, don't see it as a rule of thumb because on the one hand, because your muscles are not have not as many strength as healthy people. So when muscles are exercising, they ask for blood by the heart. So the heart rate increases to take care that there is blood going to the muscles. So when your muscles are a bit weak, uh, the heart rate will not increase at the same level as healthy people. So when you uh, want to have a high heart rate, uh, there's a risk that you are exercising at a very uh, too high level of intensity. So the, the most important thing is to take a look at your work skill. So how do you feel the exercise intensity? That's the most important thing. The other thing is some medication, for example, beta blocker medication, causes the heart rate doesn't increase very much. So they lower the heart rate. And with beta blocker medication, it's also more difficult to exercise. And the last thing is that when taking a look at exercise, of course, there's a bit of a fatigability during exercise. You're getting fatigued. So that's fatigability during exercise. But of course, you have all your other uh, life activities. And sometimes you're already fatigued at the beginning of an exercise. And at that point of time, you frequently see that your heart rate um, doesn't increase at the same level compared to a day in which you are not fatigued. So also take a look at your daily life fatigue level because that can be of influence too on your heart rate. So when you notice that, yeah, most of the time your heart rate increases during exercise and sometimes it doesn't, then yeah, that can be a consequence of your fatigue level in daily life. So then it's important to take a look at your daily life. Um, are there maybe too high demands during daily life? So your fatigue level during daily life is also very important. You're explaining this so well to our community. I appreciate you so much. So really, it's more important to exercise for a bit longer and then less frequently during the week to start low and go slow and to make sure that what we're doing doesn't put us in pain or further weakness in our daily activities. It's a very uh, good summary, indeed. And as I, I told before, that uh, not only look at the exercise, but also at your daily life. Uh, I say my patients are top sporters in daily life. Yeah, they everything they do, it causes a lot of fatigue just like top sporters, like cyclists in the Tour de France, for example. But there's one main difference between the real top sporters and top sporters who are patients with mitochondrial real disease. Because top sporters in the Olympic Games or Tour de France, they exercise, they are active in a competition, but they don't have to do their household. They go to a restaurant, they don't have any other duties during daily life. The patients with mitochondrial diseases are top supporters, including household activities, including caring for their children, family, uh, their jobs, etc. So you, you also have your daily life. And it's good, besides exercising, to take a look at your daily life. Are there any demands in daily life that you can change? For example, a good sleep quality is very important. And it helps to adhere to structured day and bedtimes. And 
if possible, not sleeping during the day. Because when you adhere to structured day and sleep times, you see that your sleep quality will increase. Also, when you stop sleeping during the day, the sleep quality at night will increase. But it's a vicious circle. When you sleep well, uh, you have the energy to exercise. And when you exercise, you are a bit tired in the night and your sleep quality increases too. So sometimes patients are captured in a vicious circle. And then it's important to, to break the vicious circle to be able to exercise and to have a better quality uh, of sleep. But also take a look at your daily life activities. For example, uh, when cooking a meal, uh, is it possible to use products uh, which you don't have to uh, prepare to eat healthy food? There is so much more than exercise alone uh, to keep your energy level uh, higher so you are also able to exercise because sometimes your daily life activities are also at a very high uh, intensity level that's very difficult to incorporate exercise in your daily life and then it's better to first take a look at your daily life activities for example with your rehabilitation physician with your occupational therapist and after that start exercising this is such good information. I hope that we're all kind of our wheels are turning thinking about how can we do more to be more active and to incorporate exercise. So, you know, some days I think to myself, oh, a walk would be good for me, or maybe I should work on, you know, toning my muscles. I have a few light weights. You know, can you compare the two in terms of the importance of one versus the other or both? Yeah, exercise, you can divide exercise on, in, on the one hand, aerobic exercise, and on the other hand, strengthening exercises. And then the third one is the functional exercises. And the first, strengthening exercises, there has been a lot of uh, research on strengthening exercises, which show that it not damage your muscles, but it's not so effective as aerobic exercise. So strengthening exercises, for example, are exercises with uh, weights in which you move your, your legs and your arms. And I think it can be effective, but it's even more necessary to personalize that treatment than aerobic exercise. When you want to perform strengthening exercises, there's a rule of thumb that you have to be able to move your arms and your legs against the gravity. That is only then you can perform strengthening exercises. Because when you, for example, cannot move your arm against the gravity, then you will see that you will make compensatory movements. For example, bend your body, use other muscles to make the movement. And there's a very high risk of pain. So check if you are able to move your arm and legs against the gravity because that's uh, necessary to perform strengthening exercises. And when starting strengthening exercises, it's maybe not with weights, only with your body weight, because your arm is also a couple of kilograms. And then there is a lower, a lower risk of uh, overuse of pain complaints when you don't use weight. And when you perform strengthening exercises, a high number of repetitions and low weight. So it's better to use no weights at 30 repetitions than to use a kilo, a pound, and with 10 repetitions, because then the risk of overuse is higher. So that about strengthening exercises. And also the rule of muscle uh, pain also applies to strengthening exercises. So muscle pain is allowed, but no more than 24 hours uh, after uh, the strengthening exercises. The other thing is aerobic exercise. 
aerobic exercises, for example, cycling, walking, running, swimming, every exercise in which you use your heart and lungs. And that's good to build up aerobic capacity. And aerobic exercises have been shown to be very effective in neuromuscular diseases, also mitochondrial diseases. So when you have less time and you have to choose between aerobic exercise and training exercises, please choose aerobic exercise because that's the most effective to build up aerobic capacity, to decrease uh, fatigue complaints, and it's very effective to perform your daily life activities. The other thing is so at least 20 minutes, and that's about aerobic exercise. And the last thing is uh, more the more functional exercises. That's, for example, balance exercises, walking exercises. But there's one exception. Some people use walking as an exercise, but when walking is difficult for you and you use walk aids, I don't recommend walking exercises to build up your capacity. Because walking already is difficult for you to use walk aids and there's a very high risk of muscle pain and overuse when you try to use walking exercises to build up your aerobic capacity. So then you can, for example, better choose uh, swimming or cycling exercises. Also, there's a, the risk of falling, of course, when yeah, walking is difficult for you and you, you use walking as an exercise. So that are the three groups of exercise and the most effective one is aerobic exercise. Thank you so much. You've been so informative and so kind and gentle because exercise is a tough conversation with someone with mitochondrial disease. It's something that is difficult for us and sometimes hard to integrate into our lives or just a lot stickier and, and harder to get through than for an everyday person. And I think that you've really broken it down to, to helping us figure out how to make this workable for you know someone like me, someone like in the mitochondrial community. I really appreciate it. I want to ask before we go, what made you interested in studying this field? Yeah. It's so specific. Yeah, it's a good question. When I was studying medicine, I remember that I that I said to them when I received my um, my bachelor's degree, I want to help people with a chronic disease with, with exercise because I noticed myself that exercise is very helpful to me. I work maybe 50, 60 hours a week. So my colleagues are very surprised that I exercise so much because, but for me, because I'm exercising, I'm able to work many hours a week. It helps me a lot for my physical and my mental well-being. And I want to help my patients with exercise. So I like practice what you preach, but maybe for me, it's preach what I practice. I always wanted to be a sports physician. But there was, I gave music lessons to children and one of the fathers of children, he was a rehabilitation physician and he heard my dream and he, he knew that I was fond of sports exercise and he said, hmm, I think you'll be better a rehabilitation physician, especially when you also want to perform research. And I was taking a look at the rehabilitation center where he worked and I thought I will be a rehabilitation physician. And that was a very good, good choice for me. Uh, and when I started uh, my internship in rehabilitation uh, medicine, I was asked to perform a PhD. And one of the topics was the effect of aerobic exercise and cognitive behavioral therapy in the neuromuscular disease FSHD, facioscapular humeral muscular dystrophy. And that, of course, uh, was of interest to me. So I started research and from that moment on, I saw that my patients, they said to me, oh, it's it, 
helping me so much uh, exercise and I frequently uh, receive uh, emails from my patients in, in which they say I started exercising and I'm feeling so well I now exercise two or three times a week and then I always think when I prescribe medication patients don't email me oh I now take my antibiotics uh, every day and I'm so happy and that's the, the great difference between exercise and medication because exercising you do it yourself and it's so good for your self-confidence and for people it's good to do something about the consequences of their disease and to have something in your hands yeah it's good for your for your self-confidence and that's why i started it once and i'm still continuing to help people in exercise and i know that's very difficult for, for patients to exercise but i hope i can um, can help them and the last thing is that many physicians therapists say the patients start exercising and then patients go out to consulting room but imagine that you have a pneumonia and your physician says to you, you have to start with medication and then you go out of the consulting room. Everyone knows that it's not very helpful because, yeah, which medication, which dose, uh, the frequency. But uh, unfortunately, many physicians say to their patients, um, start exercising, but not the frequency, the duration, the way, etc. So I hope that more physicians, more therapists, and learn yeah, how to prescribe exercise and activities for patients because it's it's more than only saying to start exercise. It's so essential for our lives, for everyone's lives, but especially those who have weaker mitochondria. Yeah, it is because then it's even more difficult. Right, right. Do you want to touch for a minute on your future research? Because it does sound really interesting and I think our community should know what on the horizon for you. Yeah, I am now working on, on three main projects. The first one is to receive more attention for psychological interventions. So I told about my PhD project that was about cognitive behavioral therapy. That's a form of a psychological intervention. But nowadays also acceptance and commitment therapy is um, a psychological intervention which is prescribed a lot for patients with neuromuscular diseases. But we have an international group who want to gain more attention for this important topic. So that's that's one thing. The other thing is in the Netherlands, we are setting up a care network for neuromuscular diseases. When you have a neuromuscular disease, you have many healthcare professionals. So the coordination of care can be very difficult, sharing of knowledge. So there, yeah, we are taking a look at how to build up a care network for neuromuscular diseases in the Netherlands. And the last one is about measuring uh, but also diminishing muscle fatigue and muscle pain in uh, neuromuscular disease patients, also mitochondrial disease patients. So we want to measure muscle fatigue with EMG, with kinematics uh, measurements during exercise and activity. We want to develop a reliable outcome measure. And we hope that in the future, for example, you can measure uh, using your smartwatch uh, the level of muscle fatigue and muscle pain in your life. So that it for patients will be more easy to cope with their level of muscle fatigue and muscle pain in daily life. And maybe it will also be a reliable outcome measure for medication trials in the future. And as I told before, we are also take a look in more detail in mitochondrial disease patients. How can exercise tests, cycling tests be helpful in, on the one hand, the diagnosis of a mitochondrial disease? Because the diagnosis of a mitochondrial disease can be very difficult. 
And we think that exercise tests can help in diagnosing a mitochondrial disease. And on the other hand, the prescription of exercise, because we think that there is a difference that some people can get more benefit out of exercise than other groups. And we want to, yeah, to know more about which group can benefit more than the other. So that are future projects we are we are now currently working on. Well, sounds like you're busy. <laughs> I appreciate your time today. You have taught us so much. I feel like we are so lucky to have been able to benefit from your wisdom. So thank you so much for being on Energy in Action, Nicole. You are very welcome, and I'm always happy to share my knowledge because that's um, yeah, that's where I work for. Well, you are always welcome back. Yeah, let's keep in contact. <laughs> I would love that. You're absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much, Nicole. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us. I encourage you to browse other Energy in Action podcast episodes. I'm so inspired by the resilience of those in previous episodes, and I know you will be too. 